This is Burgos Ed, the podcast that answers all your questions you never dare to ask about banking. And I'm your host, Aurelia Rauch. Hey guys. Hello. Hello. So I'm here today with Dennis König. Hi, Dennis. And Maximilian Mann. Hi. Hi. And you were kind enough to agree to let me ask you everything that I want to know about asset classes. Um, but let's start differently. Dennis, can you explain what your job here is? I can try. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, Max and I, we both work um, for the Active Advisory Department. And in a more general sense, the, the idea of the department is to advise our relationship managers um, which kind of financial products to recommend to our clients or to their clients. And um, we cover basically the entire spectrum of asset classes in our team. So um, <laughs> that fits quite well to, the, uh, to today's topic. And Max and I... Lucky. <laughs> Max and I, we're both... Um, responsible for the selection of single stocks and so in the in the segment of stocks we are responsible for investing in single companies and there we try to identify stocks which are likely to outperform um, the entire market and um, we analyze them we comment them and we recommend them to our clients and our relationship managers okay so let's step back a little bit and just talk about what that means what is an asset class can you give me a couple of pointers to just understand for some people that you know don't know anything about banking what what does that encompass yeah maybe going one step back and thinking why do we actually have something like asset classes hmm. and um, the idea is to to make our life a bit easier because actually if you think about the entire universe of financial instruments you have so every single stock everything which has a, an Eisen, a Valor, or like any other kind of identifier, everything like that is basically a financial instrument. Mm -hmm. And instead of analyzing every single one of them, we try to generalize a bit, and that's why we try to put them in certain categories. Mm -hmm. Usually the first step of putting something into a category is defining that um, one thing can only belong to one category. Mm -hmm. So it's exclusive. That's the first step. And then we try to say, okay, these things we put together in one category, they have certain things in common. So, for example, they have the same value drivers. So, um, they, they, they are somehow yeah, correlated to each other. That's how we call it. And um, on the other hand, they should be um, non-correlated. We call it to other asset classes. And what we mean by that is if one asset class is rising, for example, and the best case, the other one is staying flat or even goes negative. Mm -hmm. And then you can achieve something called diversification, so balancing your portfolio by different asset classes. But um, the last step is basically that we say one asset class needs to be big enough that if you just invest in that one asset class, let's say, for example, the most popular one, stocks, if you just invest in that one single asset class that you're still able to diversify there because there's many sub-asset classes um, which behave differently within that segment. And um, in order to answer your question, which kind of asset classes are there, um, I already mentioned equities. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you have bonds. Mm -hmm. And um, the third one is um, a classic one, but it's something you can argue day and night about, is so-called alternative investments. There depends a lot about the definition. Um, you can basically um, summarize everything. It can be 
gold, it can be real estate, it can be hedge funds, um, it can be oil, um, all these kind of things. Um, you can argue a lot about whether they are own asset classes or belong to alternative investments. Um, but basically, um, these are the three main asset classes, equities, stocks, alternative investments. Dennis, so you mentioned that one asset class over the other um, gains value and that there, there could be some difference there. But how does an asset class gain value? Yes, yeah, so actually, like every asset class has different value drivers. So, for example, when we take uh, bonds, bonds are like driven by interest rate movements, they're driven by in inflation, they're driven by um, credit spreads. So, overall, the they have like very very different value drivers than for example equities have because equities are more, more much more influenced let's say by macroeconomic developments mm -hmm. microeconomic developments like fundamental developments within the company and therefore i would say that there are lots of different value drivers that influence the the value of a, a company stock for example mm -hmm. um And it's a very complex um, thing because all of those like news, all of this kind of value drivers are influencing the stock price somehow. So we have to find a kind of system to make this kind of um, complexity a bit more easy to handle. Mm -hmm. And yeah, for example, other asset classes such as real estate or gold have completely different value drivers. So overall, and that's why it's like very interesting, every asset class has somehow different value drivers. And sometimes like the value drivers are like um, opposite of each other. So mm -hmm. that's why um, usually like portfolio managers used to um, take many asset classes into one portfolio because they it leads to some diversification of the risk. Got it. Yeah, that's cool. So, uh, you know, one thing that we always try to do here is um, we find ourselves at the dinner table and termini and then, you know, words are being tossed around and how do we know what category we're talking about? What are the words we should look out for? With in our fantasy, you can basically relate any kind of word to asset classes, but just, <laughs> just joking. Um, so we already mentioned equity, stocks, alternatives, hedge funds, gold, these kind of things, real estate. But what is way more common, what can happen easily is that um, there are certain terms from um, like one step below asset classes. So mm -hmm. if you're talking, for example, about sub asset classes and there um if we take for example the um yeah if we if we take the example for stocks there are many ways to construct these sub asset classes for example the most classic way is so-called sectors so if you say okay um i have industrials and i have tech mm -hmm. um that's a bit old school because back then it was um, way easier to determine that is a tech stock and that is a um, industrial stock but nowadays we have the problem that basically everything is tech mm -hmm. um, and <laughs> that made the world a bit complicated and that's why um, for example um, there, there, there are new ways for example in the 90s um, some people came up with so-called factors And um, that is something you're going to hear probably quite often at um, some dinner conversations that people start, uh, talk, for example, about value stocks um, and growth stocks. So that's basically the um, same factor, but opposite sides. Mm -hmm. So you have um, stocks which um, grow a lot um, and there you don't pay too much attention of how much you pay actually for that growth. So the valuation, on the other hand, you have stocks 
they don't really grow, but um, they are cheap. Um, that's the classic Warren, Buff uh, Warren Buffett investment approach. And um, these kind of approaches you're going to hear probably quite often. On the other hand, um, you have the so-called size factor. So you have big companies, so-called large caps. That's a term you're going to hear for sure at some point. And on the other hand, um, maybe a bit more on the riskier side, you have the small companies, the so-called small caps. Um, and cap stands for market capitalization in that case. And um, that is terms you're most likely going to hear at some point. And then um, once um, yeah, the financial industry or actually science um, started to develop these factors in the 90s, um, started with basically five factors that expanded quite quickly. Mm -hmm. So nowadays we have a multitude of factors. And for example, there are things like dividend yields. So I'm talking about high dividend stocks mm -hmm. or stocks which don't pay a dividend and these are all buzzwords you're going to hear at some point just in order to um, yeah, categorize certain stocks with some features um, on the other hand for example um, you're going to hear also a lot of um, words regarding sub asset classes in fixed income so bonds um, so, for example, you can um, determine your risk um, in that asset class basically by um, yeah, the credit rating of, of the company or the institute you're lending money to. So, for example, if you borrow money to a government, it's a government bond, usually rather safe. On the other hand, if you um, borrow money to a company which is um, maybe not doing that well, mm -hmm. so so-called high yield bond or a bit older word is junk bond, and those are buzzwords you're going to hear as well. Mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah, basically the, the most important buzzwords are on the level of the sub-asset classes. Very cool, very complex though. Huh? Yeah, this is quite a complex topic and like a challenge for us is like to like make this uh, complexity somehow easy to understand and somehow put all this information together and come up with a like investment idea and mm, therefore we as we like cover equities we really have a um, the first look we always have is on uh, the sub sector so each of us has like different sectors that we cover so we can specialize within these sectors and we know like the value drivers within those sectors, we know the main players within those sectors, we know the overall environment within those sectors and uh, therefore we know what it need, what companies need to have to be like, um, to have like a good performance within those sectors. And so the first thing we usually do is like having a look on the business model of the company. So we really have a, a look on the sustainability of this business model. Is this company still able to generate profit in 10 years mm -hmm. or not? And how resilient is the business model overall? Mm -hmm. Or are there any competitors that maybe have a more innovative idea and in that they can substitute this um, the service or the, the platform or the other company? And um, this is like a very important step uh, in our overall consideration. But then we also do a lot of valuation. So when it comes to valuation, we uh, have a look on how the um, stock price is priced compared, for example, to competitors, compared to the company itself in the historical context. And um, yeah, we use like multiples. So we compare like um, valuation multiples with other companies within the industry. But we also have a 
look on the balance sheet. So we have a look on the leverage ratios of the companies. We have a look on the cash flow of the companies. So um, there are lots of different um, inputs that we use to like generate an idea and to like uh, make a conclusion regarding a company. And even though like the conclusion is okay, we are not going to invest in this company because I don't know the leverage is too high. It's still a conclusion that we is useful for us. So what we do all along is like really trying to put all the information that we can get together and um, come up with good investment ideas. And sometimes we analyze like five companies and we don't come up with a good idea, but it's still a conclusion that we um, should not invest into those companies. And yeah, that's actually what we um, do all day long, reading a lot, having a really a look on the on the balance sheets, having like f conference calls with the management or with other analysts to gain like as much in insight into those companies, into those business models as we can, um, like to generate a good um, investment ideas for our clients. Awesome. Everything said or more? More to share? <laughs> Not for the moment. Not for a moment, but thank you very much. I'm going to conclude this with my last question. Favorite Bond movie? Goldfinger. Goldfinger. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thanks, guys. <laughs>